0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning everyone. Those that are joining us in the auditorium and those that are joining us online, welcome. Thank you for deciding to worship with us. I'd like to share some research with you. According to Jeffrey Jones, he's a Gallup senior editor, U.S. church attendance has shown a small but noticeable decline compared to what it was before the COVID-19 pandemic. In the four years before the pandemic, 2016 through 2019, an average of 34 percent of U.S. adults said that they had attended church, synagogues, mosques, or Temple in the past seven days. From 2020 to the present, the average has been 30%, including a 31% reading from January, pardon me, May 1st through the 24th in a survey. The recent church attendance levels are about 10% is points below the Gallup measured in 2012. So it's continuing to decrease. So I wonder, I wonder what does the scripture has to say about us attending service? Does it have anything to say about that? Now, in our lesson today, <clears throat> it's going to be about Judas Iscariot. He's one of the most known apostles, probably notorious or infamous, uh, but he's definitely known. And I think he's an excellent person to let us know that just by being present isn't enough. And we're going to explore some of the things he was present for and that he got to participate in and what we can gather from him. So that's the title of our lesson. What can we learn from one of the most known apostles? Now in Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 24 we find and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. So we're supposed to come together and worship but What I want to convey to you is just by showing up here, that's not enough. Your presence, uh, although we're glad that you're here, that's not enough. And hopefully you'll agree with me by the end of our lesson today. So who was Judas? Who was Judas? Now, before I get into his introduction at work, We have something called a professional introduction. You may have heard of it by a different name, maybe elevator speech or 30-second commercial. But basically what it is, if you haven't heard of it, it's a brief summary of who you are and what you do and what you'd like to do. So let's just say I'm Judas Iscariot and I'm giving you my 30-second commercial. It might sound something like this. Hello, my name is Judas Iscariot. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I served as treasurer, but I was also a thief. I am notoriously known for betraying Jesus. I felt guilty about it. And I wanted to make it right. I went to the chief priests and the elders to, for them to pardon my sins, and I attempted to return the money. That's what I wanted to happen. That's not necessarily what happened, but that's what I wanted to do. Now, from a religious perspective, regarding the, his accomplishments, I'd like you to think about it. Judas was trusted enough to be the person that's the treasure. You're not gonna be treasure if people don't trust you. There, there might be some objections to you being in that position. So they trusted him, all of them, enough for him to be treasure. And then, the position of apostle. That is a very lofty position. Very lofty. Now, for those who. Who have a that are spiritually minded. For those that are carnal-minded, it probably doesn't mean very much at all. Now, in case you're not familiar with the definition of an apostle, an apostle is a delegate, specifically an ambassador of the gospel, officially a commissioner of Christ, apostle. This is something that's distinguishes Jesus' apostles. It says with miraculous powers. So I think that's a little bit different than others who claim to be apostles. A messenger, he that is sent. That's what we mean when we say an apostle. Now, with that being said, there are a lot of people from the past and present that aspire to be apostles. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, we find for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So in the past, you had people claiming to be apostles. Now, according to Dr. David Miller, he's an instructor at the Bear Valley Bible Institute. He says that several groups that claim affiliation with the Christian religion, alleged to have apostles among them, including Catholicism, Mormonism, and some Pentecostal groups. I didn't say it. He did. So can we agree that we have both people from the past and the present aspiring to this position of apostle, calling themselves apostles? Now, unlike these people claiming to be apostles, Judas actually was. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, we find now it came to pass in those days that when he went out, and we're talking about Jesus here, when he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Atheus, and Simon, also the zealot, Judas, the son of of James and Judas Iscariot who also became a traitor. Now we named out who the apostles were. There's a whole lot of folks that claim to be apostles that I don't see their name or I don't see their name up there. Do you? Jesus named who the apostles were And those who claim to be apostles. And something else, they didn't make themselves apostles. They were chosen. Jesus chose them. I don't know if you've heard Matthew chapter 22 and verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, being uh, a veteran, I couldn't help but think of the Marines because we just have a few, just a few of them as well. So I mentioned before, one of the things that distinguishes Jesus apostles from all the rest. And we're going to take a look at some of that. That evidence. I'd like you to this morning, I'd like you to put yourself in the mind of Judas. You, Judas, I think that'll kind of help you get a little bit more. Out of the lesson. So we're going to look at what are some of the things that he experienced and maybe we can understand his actions, what he did. In John chapter 11 and verse one. see, I titled this saw the glory of God. Now, for some of you, you'll probably say, hey, that was that would be enough for me to to be faithful, to be loyal. And then again, maybe not. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister went to him, saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we, we may die with him. The point I'm trying to make here is we see disciples, plural, right? So I would assume Judas is amongst those that are there. Verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Verse 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. If we could just pause for a minute. Just imagine now you saw that. Would it have an impact on you? Have you ever seen anything like that in your life? Hmm. Okay. So Judas we said disciples. So Judas We are to assume witness and saw this glory of God. So he saw this, this miracle. And maybe you're saying, hey, that would be enough for me to be faithful and loyal. Now, as a whole, I would have to disagree because remember the stats I gave you of the declining church attendance. Does that reflect belief and loyalty? Well, Jesus doesn't stop with just allowing uh, Judas to witness this miracle. Remember our definition of what an apostle is? They have power. We see evidence of that here. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the man, pardon me. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Altheus and Levius, whose sure name is Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and who? and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, so let's let's look at these events now. <clears throat> not only was Judas not just called but chosen, named an apostle, witnessed the miracles and was given power. Now you're probably saying that would be enough for me to be loyal. And to be faithful. But again, those stats say that we have declining church attendance. So for many, it's not enough. All right, going back to Judas' bio, we said that he was an apostle, we see that he had power, we saw that he witnessed miracles, but unfortunately, I think his heart was somewhere else. Though, I think he cared a little bit more for mammon and treasure than for the Lord and his people, although he had a good front going. I think uh, his facade was working very well. I mean, for him to be appointed as treasurer, it had to be working pretty good, but In John chapter 12 and beginning in verse 1, we find. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of costly oil and of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So why do you think Judas objected to that costly oil being used. Do you really think he cared for the poor? Now, that's what he said. Now, that puts me in the mind of some folks who uh, petition for a certain office. I mean, they have a long list of things that they say, but they don't necessarily do those things. So I couldn't help but be reminded with what Judas said here. John chapter 12, verse six. This, he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He was a thief. And had the money box and used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for me. Pardon. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me, you do not have always. So we see that his motive was definitely not sincere. But he put up a good front. We can see how maybe he was put in that position of treasurer because of some of the things he said. This sounded good, right? I mean, on a, on a campaign slogan, this might, this might sound very well and get people uh, behind you and, and that support. I think the Bible has quite a few things to say about thieves. So I wanted to see what's what's Jesus' take on on a person being a a thief. What we see in John chapter 10 and verse 1 says, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, he climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. So it seems like it's kind of getting a little bit worse. I'm thinking thief is bad enough, right? I'm I'm thinking maybe slipped in undetected and swiped a few things and, and out. But then a robber to me is a little bit different. I think a bank robber, they're confronting someone and Some bad things may happen whenever I think about robber. John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So it seems like this thief is getting a little bit worse. We Went to robbing and then now it's to. Killing and destroying. So it seems like there's a little bit more that meets the eye when it comes to uh, a person being a, a thief. And then I was thinking there is a difference between stole once and continues to steal. It said he used to help himself to the money box. So I'm thinking that wasn't a one time. That wasn't a one time thing. Now, although Jesus and his fellow disciples trusted Judas enough to make him treasure, Jesus chose him to be an an apostle. He witnessed Jesus performing miracles. He was given power to perform miracles. But he chose to lay up treasures elsewhere. And, And I would go on to say that he had a different master, even though the master of the universe, the master of all creation was in front of him. I think he made another choice. I think Matthew chapter six and verse 24 really describes his behavior to me. It says no one can have two masters, but it seemed like that's what he was trying to do. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I'd like you to think about this for a minute because he was drawn to the money. And I don't know if you've looked up mammon, but mammon has to do with an excessive uh, pursuit of wealth. So not just money, but the fame, the fortune, all of that is in the mammon. So he was more attracted to. And he had that money box so that that money really meant something to him when he has. The creator that has given him personally all these things that we've listed. So I, I couldn't help but think, I don't know anyone else that this scripture applies more accurately to. And then that one word that really jumped out to me is the loyalty. Because we're talking about the person who betrayed Jesus. So we definitely see the lack or the lack of loyalty. So let's visit this very act of him betraying Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26 and beginning in verse 14. We find that one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. So with that in mind, I'm thinking this probably wasn't something done publicly. I'm thinking it was probably more like, hey, what would you what would you do if if I if I delivered him to you? What? So I'm thinking it was done in private. That's what I think. I don't think that this this was public. And I, I'd like you to think about this. There's a lot of sin and crime. Can you think of one that's worse than this? though? Betraying the Lord. I wonder what it was like to be told that you were going to do something sinful that you didn't want to do. What would be your action to that? Would you would you rebel against that? Uh, Would you dispute it? Would you argue? Would you or would you accept it? Well, in Matthew, chapter 26, verse 17, we find now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, One of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say. Lord, is it I? He answered and said, he who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Now, I want you to really think about that. Look at how close the betrayer was to him. I try to think of my relationships on earth. What what would mimic that? I would think maybe if if my wife betrayed me, if my child betrayed me, if my parents betrayed me. So we see their reaction. They were very sorrowful. There was there was nobody arguing about it. They believed what he said. He goes on to say, the son of man indeed goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, I don't know if that just passed by you or not, but I'd like to bring it back and let you look at some stuff. We're talking about if I was looking up the definition of bad. This would be my definition right here. This is pretty bad. And then to contrast it, the word good is used. He's saying, what I'm getting from it, the only way that this could be good is if you had never even been born. i thinking, wow, that's the only way for it to be good, for me to have never been born? Wow. Now, something else that came to mind too is these are some opportunities for Judas, though. Each interaction is another opportunity to abandon the plan and say, no, you know, I thought I was going to do that, but I'm seeing how bad the consequence, what the sentence is. I think I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something else. So I looked at he, he was given some opportunities. Verse 25, then Judas, who was betraying him, Answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you've said it. Now, the first few times I've read this verse, it really didn't mean as much to me as it should have. So I looked at what some commentary says about it. In the Believer's Bible commentary, when Judas finally asked point blank if he were the one. This is Jesus saying, yes, it's you. I look at that's another opportunity to abandon the plan and not go through with it because he's already told me about the consequences. said, so the only way this would be good is if you had never been born. You have a chance not to go through with this. And like I said before, when he conspired with the high priests and the elders, I don't think that was done publicly. I think that was done privately, which really brought this scripture from Luke to mind. Luke chapter 12 and verse two, where we find, "For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed on the host- on the housetops. Again, I think this scripture really applies to Judas. Think about it for a moment. I think the conspiracy took place in private. But it is so public now that he is part of his identity, his betrayal. Is part of his little name, if you will. It's so attached to him. Let me ask you this. Let me bring it home because it's probably way out there. What if it was you, once again, that were told you were going to do these bad things? Terrible. What would you do about it? All right. I think at this point, maybe let's look at another apostle because Judas wasn't the only one that was told he was going to do something awful. So we have no further to look than I think Peter was kind of in a similar, a similar situation in Mark chapter 14 and verse 26. Peter's told he's going to deny Christ. I wonder what his reaction is. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. We see a different reaction here. When Peter's told he's going to do something awful, he's like, oh, no, not me. You must got me confused. You must thought I was one of those guys over there. Not not me. Jesus says. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I wonder what Peter's response was. But he spoke spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, he wasn't by himself. And it says, and they all said likewise. So their response was to the creator who knows all things. They were basically saying, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about me. I'm better than that. You got me mixed up. You're not giving me all the credit that I'm due. I think at this point they were out of their minds because do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to the person who knows all things and he just told you what's going to happen and then since you can't believe it, he even gave you a time frame. He said, okay, what time do you have on your watch? Okay, in about five minutes, this is what's going to happen. Today, tonight, and at the same time, you're going to hear these sounds. I mean, he was getting really specific, but that wasn't good enough for them. Now we have Peter and we have Judas that have been told they were going to do some awful things. We saw that Judas's response was to make more inquiry, like, "Hey, is it me? Am I the one?" And after he's told that he's the one, he doesn't argue about it because he knows, "Yep, I am the one," and and goes ahead and does the terrible thing. Well, Peter says, "No, you got me confused. I'm not going to do that. That's awful." I'm, There's no way none of us will do that. So definitely different responses to the same situation. But after committing those awful things, which they both did. Here's Peter's response. John chapter 21 and verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I'd like to draw your attention to something. He realizes now that he knows all things. But when he was told he was going to do something awful, he's thinking, no, you don't know all things. There's some things about me you don't know. But it seems like he's at a different point. He denied three times, and it seems like he's being restored. And that was public. When he did the denial, that wasn't in secret. That was in front of everybody. So his restoration is public also. We find in the scripture, it goes on to say, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand and another will guide you, pardon me, gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he will glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Sounds like he's been restored to me because he could have said, get away from me. He does say that in different places. I I know you not depart from me. So we know that he could say that as well. But that's not what he said, said to follow follow me. Now, Judas. Judas. After doing the awful thing that he was told he would do. And after not denying it. I wonder what his. Response was. Matthew chapter 27 and verse three. Then Judas, his betrayer. Seeing that he had been condemned. Was remorseful brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? You deal with it. You see to it. I think that would be the definition of rejecting. I'm thinking he definitely had a change of heart because remember the money box that he cared so much about. He he was willing to give that up. Seemed like he had turned a corner, if you will. And I didn't see anything wrong with trying to undo your mistake. It goes on to say that. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. And went and hanged himself okay this is where i have a problem with what he did i understand trying to make things right but let me ask you a question who did he betray did he betray the high priest and the elders who did he wrong who did he offend it never occurred to him to go back to jesus the person that you betrayed i think if he had a do-over if he had a do-over i think Maybe that's what he would have done instead of hanging himself. So the first part of what he did, not a problem with it, but to just give up. I mean, just think about us when we've wronged somebody. If we try to make it right and they reject us, I still have my heavenly father to go to and let him know, hey, I tried to make it right. This is what I've done. Please help. So we do that when our heavenly father is at a distance. He was face to face where he could have went to Jesus and tried to make things right. But instead, this was his his action. Judas isn't the only person that sinned and found himself in a bad situation. And Chase, thank you for the reading. We see that the men of Judea and in Jerusalem, In the scripture that we heard, they they realized that they were in a bad situation, but they had a different frame of mind. Acts chapter two, verse thirty seven. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I think that's the right frame of mind. When you realize you're in the wrong, how can I make it right? What can I do? I think this response is timeless, not just for them, but for us today. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises unto you and your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. We could just stop for just a moment. I couldn't think about, I mean, I couldn't help but think about how applicable this is to our world and society today, to our perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Had a conversation in the fellowship hall with another brother and he asked me a question he was saying after this scripture how can people just dismiss the importance of baptism how in the world like i don't know thank you for your time and attention and i present the question to you have you accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior Have you been baptized? Have you been faithful in your relationship with Christ? Do you need the help of the church body? If you fall into any of those categories and you're joining us online, please reach out to our elders. But if you're physically with us in the auditorium, please come forward and have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.